Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. We'll talk some Commodore baseball. So with that, let's get right into our conversation with Chip. Chip Frederick joins me on a Tuesday morning. Vanderbilt's got four games in the rearview mirror since we last talked. The Commodores have a game this afternoon against Central Arkansas and then a road trip to Hawaii. Chip, hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Good to talk to you again, Chris. And um, I joked a couple weeks ago that got a week ahead of myself as far as joking we'd go to hawaii but um we still got time to go we could leave tomorrow and you know um get somebody to pay for it get a sponsor and head out to the beach do some surfing um can you imagine i mean that that what an opportunity for these guys to and i'm sure they're taking the full team um that's kind of what tim does in these early trips but and I'm sure they will probably go to the Pearl Harbor Museum, things like that. I'm sure there'll be some educational parts of it. But what a what a great opportunity for this program to go uh, across, you know, the Pacific and play. And uh, after winning three games, four games this past week, getting one rain, rained out and uh, on the right track. And the, these trips are fun. And I, boy, I wish I could have an opportunity to go to Hawaii when I played because it, I'm sure it'll be a memorable experience. Well, I liked your idea better. You know, get out there a week <laughs> early and soak in the the cultural experiences and all those things. And um, yeah, I think you were on it the first time. Yeah, I got a week ahead of myself. I, the the two shows ago, and nobody corrected me, so people weren't listening uh, in the <laughs> comments about uh, which weekend I got the Army and the Hawaii uh, weekends flipped. But um, yeah, th- this baseball team's growing, um, you know, five and two and haven't been on the road yet. And playing a Hawaii team that I think Chris is, uh, you know, they're they're rebuilding a little bit. Uh, they're trying to find their way. It used to be a, a very good baseball program two decades ago or so. And they've got a legendary coach who's won over a thousand games trying to get back, get that program back to prominence. But um, as far as on the Vanderbilt side, you know, liked what I saw overall against Army. Uh, I, I'd like for us to hit a little better than we do and square up on balls. Uh, and maybe we can do some, as we talk about this weekend, maybe some early season concern, you know, maybe pleasant surprises and some concerns might, might be something fun to get into. I know the sample size, and I mentioned that seven games is not a whole lot, but after this week when you get four in Hawaii and one, tonight uh, as we do this podcast uh, a little more to talk about but there's some things I think that are some things that could be concerning after seven games and some things that I think are uh, pleasantly uh, pleasantly surprises so maybe we can get into that well let's start with the good first I'm convinced that their pitching is well, I shouldn't say convinced. It appears to me that their pitching is going to be deeper than it was a year ago with just really good arms. Now, I don't think they've got a rocker and lighter by any stretch. That was special. We may never see that again at Vanderbilt or anywhere. But you look at the depth of arms, McIlvain, Riley, Hunter Owen has looked terrific so far. Maldonado, who's not been great, but I think we know what he can do. Carter Holton has looked like he can be an elite pitcher for them. Devin Fattrell, who will start today, was tremendous, I thought, in his midweek outing. 
Grayson Moore's been good. Uh, Bryce Cunningham showed some things. Jack Anderson unexpectedly has showed some things. Berkwich, I mean, that's right there. That's what, 10 arms? And we haven't even talked about Little or Schultz or some of the kids that we haven't seen pitch yet. I, I'm encouraged by what I've seen on the mound. I think they lead the league in strikeouts so far, even though they've probably had the toughest weekend of any team in the SEC with that weekend with Oklahoma State, which is a really good hitting team. Yeah, and, and we have – you mentioned Christian Little, who would have been on everyone's mind if you, if you talked about top arms based on his potential and, and how he's kind of grown through the game, although albeit he's still very young. He should be a freshman in a normal situation. So, yeah, I think from top to bottom, I think the depth, if we're looking at pleasant surprises in that category, uh, the depth is a little stronger top to bottom than being so top-heavy that they've been over the last probably two or three years. And you got some guys with clean sheets and McIlvain, no, you know, zero ERA along with Riley, uh, you know, got some guys with, you mentioned strikeouts, uh, big numbers and strikeouts um, per game. And, um, you know, you look at Riley and he's kind of the wild card. Riley's the type of guy that could really come on if, if he just can get settled. His strikeout numbers are, are great, but he gets himself into some trouble with He's just got a really, really live arm. I agree with you about Hunter Owen. That's been a pleasant surprise. I, I marked that off on my sheet as being something to talk about. I think Maldonado's still trying to find his way. They moved him at least last week into the Sunday role to see how that would um, <clears throat> affect him and, and, you know, if that's going to be something that will continue in Hawaii, although they kind of have a different setup with four games this weekend. Carter Holton has been very, very impressive for a young guy, as has for Terrell. I mean, those two guys, you know, you think about it, if, if you know, they're probably going to keep for Terrell, at least now in this role midweek, it seems like, pitching tonight. But I could see a scenario and talk to some people yesterday. You could have two guys who could be in the SEC rotation as freshmen. Uh, I'm sure they'll try to hold Fertrell back. But Holton, we mentioned being so young and being thrust in that role, you knew he was going to be special. He's just had a couple blips on the radar Holton has in some select innings. Otherwise, he's been great. His 5.40 ERA is a little deceiving because – He's really only gotten into trouble like in two instances. Uh, but just going that Jack Anderson, you mentioned the kid from NBA, played at Princeton. He's kind of an old soul guy who's been around, even though it's been an Ivy League. He's been in some game-type situations. I think he could be a guy they could count on to throw strikes and get people out uh, and still trying to develop that bullpen role as far as who's going to be the closer. And I don't think they're, they're getting there, I think. You can kind of see some blips on the radar. Berkwich, a guy who can get some people out, lefty on lefty, who they can count on. And just uh, seeing how Little develops. I think Little is um, obviously a, a confidence problem that he's working through. Got all the talent in the world, and hopefully he can work through those things and, and get back to uh, the instance where, you know, uh, an image of what he was at the SEC tournament. I think everyone has that image of what he did, and we're so impressed. And pitching's just a weird thing. It's a thing that comes and goes. And when you lose the confidence, it's something that can bottom out. And he's just got to work through it, and I'm sure he will. And hopefully this is the week to do it. I want to save the Christian Little conversation for the mailbag. But the two guys that have really popped to me, well, there's more than that. But Hunter Owen to me, and the line tells it all. He's pitched seven innings. He's walked one. He's struck out 12. And he's just looked terrific. I think – 
Somebody dropped the Ben Bowden comparison on the broadcast Sunday, which I thought, man, that was so perfect. I mean, they even <laughs> they look like each other pitching from left-handed to body type to everything. I just think he's been really good. And Fitrell is another one, just a strike thrower. Uh, he strike out, strikes out. I can't speak. He struck out the first six collegiate hitters he saw. Um, seeing guys coming out cold and throwing strikes and getting a lot of strikeouts to me. That I mean, that's just that's what I think was really encouraging. As much as anything is, which is what those two guys and Carter Holton. I I put him in there too. Uh, I know the path has been a little different, but just seeing young kids throw strikes for them. Uh, it's been a big deal for me. Yeah, and you'll see, it'll be interesting to see if Fitrell can back up what he did last week. I mean, he looked like a vet out there against Evansville. The way he was just ahead yeah. in all counts, he could. He was backing up pitches with his changeup. He was locating. He was going after guys when he wanted to attack. It's just very rare when you see a guy do that. I remember my first collegiate experience uh, as a freshman, and it wasn't anywhere near. Uh, Mr. Futrell. It's just, it's some people can do it and some people can. Well, actually, my first collegiate appearance was great in Alabama. And then I followed that up when I started thinking about it against Lipscomb. And it's something I'd rather not talk about. But Futrell, you know, just the way he had command, I think he said four pitches. I think he did ask him. Yeah, Yeah. fastball change, curveball. And I forgot what the fourth pitch was. It was a cutter. I'm I'm not sure, but. I'll have that to look kid. that up, yeah. But yeah, it, yeah. well, and, and that's the thing is, I'm like the the question I was going to ask you as a follow up there. When's the last time you saw a kid at Vanderbilt throwing four pitches for strikes first appearance? I mean, I don't know that I can name another guy who's done that. A long time, long time, if if ever that I can recall. And you know, you, these kids who come in, Chris, I had this conversation last week with someone about these recruits that. The whole travel ball situation, playing in in environments where it's high-pressured situations and tournaments and against great competition, and they come in here, and they it's, some have it and some don't, but the ones that Corbin and Brownie and their staff and Baxter go after seem to all have a characteristic, at least of late, of guys who are very mature beyond you, – you hear Tim talk about that a lot – beyond their years – old soul though you know you you can just turn a tape recorder on and you could ever and it seems like tim mentions that repetitively about futrell and holton these kids who come in and then you've got a kid with like little who i'm not saying that he he's not because he's been in pressure situations but sometimes the talent is a little ahead of the mentality of being poised and having the confidence and and that's where what they do on the side and in bullpens and through uh, skull sessions and talking about the psychology of the game that really, really helps. And and hopefully that'll catch on. But I don't know if it's you, if it's just me, excuse me, but it just seems like, and maybe you can confirm that, that it's, it's almost like a type that they go after on the mound. uh, That is a mixture of, you know, really intelligent guys, but also guys who have a calmness about them um, that can go along with their talent. Yeah, I think I think that's a type everybody's probably going after. But yes, I would say that's the calmness and the strike throwing. Like you have increasingly heard Tim mention, ability to throw strikes is a criteria to pitch. And again, um, you, you can see the guys who have stepped forward and 
checked off those boxes and, and they've been rewarded with innings and, and maybe some guys who haven't if not. Yeah, and, and who doesn't like to play if you're a position player just watching the game when Futrell pitched last week. The pace of the game was quick. He got the ball. He worked quickly. He threw strikes. He pitched the contact. And and you got, you know, guys behind you who that's that's a brand of baseball that if you're a position player, it's cold. I think Corbin said that in his press conference when it's 35 degrees and the wind's blowing the last thing you want to do is having a guy throwing the ball halfway up the the pitching screen i mean you you got to have guys who work fast and with pace and who throw strikes and especially this time of year and i think we're seeing that with uh you know then you've got on on the counter of that is you've got patrick riley who he's got a clean sheet zero er era and he's got such a live arm and the ball really comes out of his arm quick but you almost like it's like you're walking on a balance beam with Patrick Riley. You know the talent's there. You know the arms there. Uh, you know if he can just settle down and get into a groove that, uh, it, that there's no question that the velocity coming out of his arm is 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 a lot of heat. But you, you've got guys like that that if you just put it together, he's going to be special. So again, uh, we're talking about the the pleasant surprises. I'll just again emphasize top-to-bottom staff. It's not as top-heavy. And I think even Tim talked about, we can talk another positive about the lineup where he said it's going to be pretty, he pretty much insinuated, it's going to be difficult to get some guys on the field because there's a lot more balance on this team. If you think of years past, even the the national championship team from 2019, it was it was a team that pretty much rolled out the same lineup every time. I think this team has more balance. I think he can. He, it's going to be very difficult to get some guys who, who have earned some playing time through their work and training, and when they get it, they're performing. Usually, that kind of works itself out. But you're seeing some guys who who have come out there and really, you know, T.J. McKenzie comes in comes to mind. You know, Davis Diaz comes to mind as far as the way he gets on base, and 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 you want to have that with a guy. With you know he's got five walks, um, almost leads the team. He's got three with six, but you compare it with the number of the bats he's got, it's pretty impressive. So, it's it's a good problem to have, and especially when you still got games in March that you're trying to figure out before you head to SEC play. You know the guy that Riley kind of reminds me of in a way at the stage of his career is. Tyler Beatty, for lack of a better comparison, although goes Riley's best pitch is the fastball. I think Riley's breaking pitch is a slider. Beatty's was a curve. Beatty's curve is probably his best pitch, I guess. But it just seems like he's one of those kids that like you can't really hit him, but he just has these spells where he can't throw strikes, uh, and and that's the one thing that he just once he overcomes that. I mean, he's. I'm not going to say he's on par with Rock or Lighter, but I, I think he's that next Vanderbilt ace if it all clicks. Yeah, I could see that comparison. That's a good call, you know. And if you remember that, Beatty was working on some things with Brownie um, towards the end of his. Of, was it Brownie or was it DJ? He was he was Brown, right? Beatty. Uh, yeah, because let's see, DJ yeah. left in. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees 
movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. It's been about, what, a decade ago now? Yeah, so it's right around then. Time flies. But you had Beattie working on things even in in Omaha and leading up to Omaha where he didn't pitch hardly at all. And to think where he went in the draft of working with different things with his hands. He went from going in a a wind-up position where he would take the ball over his hands uh, to just stepping back, short step back, little things I noticed about him. I mean, they're still working on him as during his junior year. So those are all kind of those inner workings of, of what this uh, coaching staff's trying to do with the pitchers and, and all the players uh, as they go forward here. The thing I have with Maldonado, um, and they get to see private workouts and everything. I just wonder if his stuff plays better in short bursts. And I know that they spread him out last year where he pitched some longer innings, 40, 50 pitches, and, and did pretty well. But I, I still wonder if they're not better off using him in shorter doses in, in relief appearances. And I wonder where that's going to settle. Well, you, you look at his line, four innings, 67 pitches, which is a lot through four innings. And, uh, you know, he got in trouble that early on when army almost, uh, you know, had the bases loaded and he got out of it for him. That was a, um, a big accomplishment because that could have gone either way early, but he, he wasted a lot of pitches in those first two innings when he getting to the total of 67 through four innings. So I think it's still, um, lack of a better term an experiment. I don't think it's a grand experiment. I think this is something that it just didn't throw on him. I think he's preparing for it, but like you mentioned, you kind of wonder if it's going to be something that uh, that they sit there in a couple weeks after Hawaii or the, or perhaps the next week and say, is this are we better off getting Nick in a situation where he can go Friday, Sunday in relief and go two or three innings, or you know two innings here, one inning uh, split apart with a, a day of rest, or is he going to be in a situation where he gives us four or five in a start? Um, cause he's definitely got the talent and, um, he's got the experience and, and we'll just have to watch that. That's going to be something to follow here in the next two weeks. Let's talk hitting for a minute. I, I kind of get a little bit amused at some of these fan bases when teams are winning games by lopsided margins against teams that can't play. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to call out any one fan base in particular, but I am thinking of one. I'll just leave it at that. Um, because it, it's look, it's it's not even the same, right? Because I just don't think that you learn a lot from your team by that. But the flip side to that is, I do worry when you're thinking in the back of your head. You know, 
an elite offensive team should probably be putting up 12, 13, 14 runs in some of these games. And instead, what you're seeing is is maybe seven, eight, and that comes with a lot of help on, on defense from the other team. Um, it's it's early, it's cold, it's been damp, it's been all kinds of things. But I I do, and I think you have the same concern, I do start to worry just a little bit about that offense. Do I think their hitters can hit better? Yes. But I, I do wonder if they're going to have that gear that I thought, just based on some early observations, some struggles to make contact, really the, the lack of you know hitting as many balls on the nose as I can see. I mean, like I'll give you... A case in point, the Evansville game, they scored, what, nine runs in six innings or whatever it was. But I'm telling you, and it was wet and cold and rainy, and I get that, but that that should have been more like a three- or four-run performance that day. But Evansville just gave them everything on a platter. And I want to see them start to hit the ball and separate themselves from teams a little bit more offensively uh, in the next couple of weeks when they're going to have some teams that are not going to be SEC caliber that they're going up against. Yeah, and you can play the comparative game, um, and, and a lot of these SEC teams are doing. One uh, a, a colleague of mine said, you know, I watched uh, the um, – and I, I also watched it myself after he said it, you know, the Northern Kentucky win over Mississippi State, and they said that their comment was Northern Kentucky squared up on more balls in that game than Vanderbilt has in seven games. Um, and, and to an extent, yeah, you know, you, you, there, there's, that's a little bit of, of, you know, when we're talking pleasant surprises and then concerns, one of which is I think we're getting a lot of help, and, and you brought that up. Uh, some Army booted the ball around a bunch over the weekend, and, and Evansville did too in some situations which gave us some opportunities to score some runs. Uh, you know, I don't think that Enrique Bradfield's a 217 hitter. Uh, I don't have to worry about that, really. I think he's going to bounce back, nor do I think that Carter Young's a 190 hitter either, uh, if you're looking at, at some concerns or slight concerns. Parker Nolan has, has struggled at 143, I mean, in three, six games, and and uh, he's going to have to fight through that um, because, if you know, other people are going to get some opportunities I know he can play a lot of positions, and that's an, a bonus to him. He's very versatile, but uh, that would be one of the concerns there. I'm not really worried about Bradfield and Young, uh, especially Bradfield with Carter coming off that injury, but those two guys I'm not really worried about bouncing up. Pleasant surprises. I think Spencer Jones with his five doubles is really encouraging, and he's hitting 370. Uh, Vaz is getting on base a lot. I mentioned Davis Diaz being a guy who who seems to be, um, you know, he's hitting 333, but he seems to be active and getting on base and has a nose for that third base position. Um, that's something to watch. So I'm uh, on the on the a little bit surprised uh, side of things. Um, you know, Lenive. I'm a little bit surprised that it took him that long to get in the lineup and get some at bats. He had he has six now, but of the you know you, you've got two games that he's played in out of seven. Little just a little surprise based on where he ended the year last year, and I'm not sure you are. Uh, but that on, on if, as we're talking about things that kind of make us go hmm, that's a little bit uh, to me was something that stood out. Yeah, well, I was going to say my my two things on the hitting that I had that. That you'd kind of touched on was 
Bradfield striking out seven times to me is a concern. Um, now, we did see him go through a funk last year and he snapped out of it, so I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. But one thing about Carter Young, although he has struggled at times, he's got six walks, and I am encouraged by that because that was not part of his game a year ago. That's right. And, um, you know, he uh, is able to get on base here, and, and um, we'll just have to watch and see. I'm sure it's, it's something that I don't know how much he participated in the fall. But um, yeah, that was think. that was limited, and I think that has held him back. Tim, yeah, Tim and I talked about that preseason, and I think he was he was pretty clear that um, that that had, the, the time away had had really hampered him in terms of just getting back to being full speed and getting the timing back and all those things. So I think that you could see a breakout coming for Carter pretty soon, just with that little bit of info. Yeah, and defensively, he's got three errors. Which you know, um, I don't think. No, it's no, that I think will go away. Yeah, yeah, I think that'll go away myself. You know, and I mentioned the word defensively, Chris. You know, concerns uh, in the concern category. Uh, I'll just go out and say it. I, I never thought, and and I told you this before we started this podcast this morning. Um, you know, C.J. Rodriguez was a <clears throat> such a, a surprise to me the way he was inserted in the lineup out in Arizona. Um, I was like, who's this kid? I remember turning on. I didn't, I had literally no idea who he was. Saw him back there. Um, the way he handled the pitchers the first weekend, I thought was extremely impressive. Then his bat came around um, after the first month of the season. But boy, this team, I think, misses him. And that's not a slam on Dom Keegan. I think Dom Keegan is um, legit back there. But I think it really shows uh, how what a valuable tool and why he got drafted the way he did in Rodriguez. That, that I, I have, my concern is is that there's going to be some teams when it starts heating up. I don't think a lot of teams run in the conference, but I think they're going to run on Vanderbilt a lot more than they did last year. And I think that's a little bit of a concern. I think there's some uh, a learning curve there. I know Dom paid in the the cape this year behind the dish. So I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's doing. So let's, let's separate that. I think he's talented. Well, but, let, let's let's cut to the chase here. I mean, most catchers his age have been spending the last three years behind the plate. He spent right. them elsewhere. Right, right. And so it, it just kind of it shows you. I'm not saying it's a hole uh, that in recruiting hole because I don't think Vanderbilt really has recruiting holes. But sometimes dominoes falls the way they do, and a kid doesn't end up coming into campus that you thought would. And he gets, you have CJ where he was a draft eligible sophomore, probably weren't counting on that. And so this, this, I, I think it's safe to say that this is a little bit of a hole that they did not expect. I'm sure they probably expected when CJ came on board that he would be there for three years and then get drafted. So the numbers aren't there to back it up. Teams have stolen um, five out of eight on Vanderbilt, five stolen bases on eight attempts while Vanderbilt 16 of 17. But once again, we haven't seen a team that runs. Now, Hawaii will be something to watch because their program, you know, they've, they, they pretty much, uh, you know, Rich Hill, he's been around forever in San Diego uh, for years and years, has over a thousand wins under his belt for and he just left kind of unexpectedly and went to Hawaii to try to revive their program. They play small ball. They try to get hit by pitches. They bunt. Uh, 
they steal bases any way they can, to, and that's what he's always done. So I think we'll see a team this weekend in Hawaii who will try to challenge Vanderbilt behind the plate. That's just what they do, and and that'll be a good indication of of how you know Dom has come and what they need to do going forward. Well, I think they've found their fixture at third. Davis Diaz has been there for, what, three or four straight starts. Uh, he's fielded really well. I think he's an upgrade there. So now it just becomes, what do you do with that? Those whole revolving door, not revolving doors, not the right word to say it, but let's just say they've got a lot of options at catcher and first base. Um, you mentioned the concerns at catcher. First base team fits haven't been great at times either. You're right, and and um I think it's going to be, you know, they they treat that position as just like a ordinary infield position. I think you could see a couple different scenarios. You know, Colwick has has played there a little bit. He's played at second. You've got this this whole uh, situation where different people are playing there, and I think it's going to be who handles it at the current time, who's hitting. Um, Tim mentioned in his press conference that it's a lot of uh, arm side. Uh, decisions as far as lefty lefty on lefty they're going to go the other way if they can based on who the starter is and then they platoon late in the games and that's what they've done so far so I think that you're right I think it looks like Davis Diaz for the time being has a leg up on that but that can change in a heartbeat especially this early but I I, I heard good things that I mentioned that in a couple podcasts about that kid he's um, and I, I think he's taken the best, most of his opportunity there with the way he's been playing the last couple games. One thing I meant to mention on the base running thing, uh, fortunately they are more left-handed heavy on the mound than they've been in a few years. So I think that's going to help them a little bit, but one other little under the radar concern that I'm kind of watching, and I wish I could remember what the issue was and I can't, I want to say it's a leg, but I, I don't have I, I can't tell you that for sure. You've been seeing Javier Vaz check out of games early for defensive replacements. And I know Tim mentioned something, I think, last week about that, but I cannot remember as we're sitting here right now exactly what he said. Yeah, and, and Vaz, we'll have to watch that because that's something that you don't want to linger. We saw that no. with if it's if it's a hamstring, whatever it is, I'm not sure. But, you know, he was working a lot on the infield, and I think the logjam of – that kind of first base, second base situation uh, has actually worked at an advantage for Vaz, the fact that he played in the outfield in Omaha and, and has that experience. But um, that'll be something to monitor, as you mentioned, and see if, that, if that's something that continues to nag him. Ready for the mailbag? Sure, let's go. All right, our mailbag is presented by friends at Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, Give Taylor or Russell a call at number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Dorfan asks, thoughts on Christian Little and why we have seen so little of him. Two appearances, three innings pitched, one on run, three walks, four strikeouts, .083 batting average against. Well, we mentioned that in in the beginning of the 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 podcast and we talked about Christian little, we've talked about it, that it's probably, um, not probably it's, it's a confidence issue and, and whether, you know, having, having pitched that inning, they wanted just to get some confidence. Sometimes I know coaches will, if someone's struggling, they'll say, it's kind of like the Carter Holton situation. He pitched, uh, I think the, the weekend previous and he had the four innings and, 
he pitched lights out. Then he goes out for the fifth, and that's where he ran into a little trouble. And with young pitchers, sometimes the psychology is, all right, do we get him out of there? And then the whole scope of way he feels about the game changes and that it's a, a, a victory of sorts and the confidence level is high and they can work on the things that they didn't do well in the bullpen the next week. Uh, then the other side of the coin is, do you want him to go through a little adversity and and see what that's like? On Little, I think, reading the tea leaves a little bit, that, and you and I kind of discussed that, is if they wanted him just to sort of get out there, get through it, and not have any more damage, which would, would cause a, a setback psychologically. So um, to answer the question without being in the dugout and not being in workouts, it's just looks like because the talent's there i don't think not aware of any injuries so to speak it's just getting to where a mindset where they can get out there and and get to where they were at a moment in the past and his is of course everyone remembers we met the sec tournament where he was so dominant and that's just what they got to do and you can only do that you know bullpens are one thing you can sit there and throw in the bullpen all you want but until you get out there and get that confidence back and it clicks again then um, th- that'll be fine. It's not like anybody's going to give up on him. The kid's too talented, and I, he'll be fine, I think. It's just a matter of getting him back out there and reps and and consecutive reps and appearances of having success, knowing what that's like, and then, and then feeding off of it. Next one comes from Hardcore Door. When do we begin to be concerned about the offense? It looks like the same offense we saw the last month last year and into the postseason. Is Mike Baxter really the guy? Looks like nothing has changed a lot through the offseason. I mentioned last weekend the concern that it looked like some guys were guessing in counts and and we had some punch outs on you know two strike counts where seemed to me like and seemed to some others who I talked to that some guys were really trying to guess and that's not what you really want to do when you, you, you've got to protect the plate with two strikes um, so yes I saw a little bit improvement of that uh, this past weekend uh, from the previous weekend from the Oklahoma State weekend, State weekend so I did see a little less of that if that's what it is just my opinion but um you know, I, I do see where some people have, have comparing it to some things that happened last year where uh, there was some guys not guarding the plate and, and not protecting the plate, and not hitting the ball the other way. And and that's just something we're going to have to follow. Uh, I think we got enough ball games coming up here this next six, seven days to see. Now it's going to be <laughs> – some of them are going to be starting late at night and odd times to follow. And I'm not sure what, do, you, do we know if there's a, um, a video of this coming up this weekend available for the, you know, live stream. You know, I have not seen it yet. I'm going to go check the, the Hawaii website right now okay. because you asked, but on view Commodores, there's been nothing that I have seen last I checked. Yeah. Well, it, it's just, um, it's a ma- I can see the concern there as far as the differences between last year and this year, and we pointed that out in, in um, the podcast last weekend. But I think it's just a matter of guys getting more comfortable. Uh, the thing that concerns me a little bit is what you mentioned. I really hadn't thought about it, Chris, but you made a great point. Is we certainly have taken advantage of fielding errors and 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 sloppy play by the opponent which has, I think, masked a lot of our problems. You know, ground balls are getting booted against Evansville. I know it was cold, but 
then the next thing you know, we get six, seven runs in an inning, and, and those things don't happen when you're playing top-flight programs and SEC programs. So um, I think the jury's still out and about that, and, and hopefully we see some improvement as we head, a, head out west. Okay, they have got watch links up for games one and four, which are the Friday and Sunday games. Does it not look like Saturdays are going to be broadcast? Now, I don't know what watch entails, if that's a – oh, it's watch ESPN. Okay, that's good. So that means if you've got an ESPN Plus subscription, which I happen to have, which if you have the Disney Network, you've got it, or if you've paid for ESPN Plus – which is their premium service, you should get it too. Now, that does not come with the SEC Network. I know that confuses people, so don't think just because you've got the SEC Network you're going to see those games. Those are two different things. But, yes, it's available on the ESPN app if you've paid for that package, which, again, is either the specific ESPN Plus, which is separate from the SEC Network. That allows you to see what you usually get with that is like games across the country. Like if you wanted to – Tune in and see Ryder and Lafayette, or whatever reason. Uh, yeah, it th- then, then it's on di- there. It can be di- it can be confusing because a lot of times, just on my Comcast, I'll say in the remote Vanderbilt baseball, and it'll show up. Uh, and then other times I've tried it, and when I, and I have the Disney, I have the Disney on my television, but I do not have the ESPN Plus bundle. So I think that's only a six more bucks a month. So I might have to go yeah. ahead and get that uh, yeah. added to the bundle. Probably, probably worth it for the weekend. But th- So that's the case, uh, and I don't know, I guess the two games in between, you're just left to listen on the radio or the VU Commodores live stream, which I presume they'll be doing. I, I would I'd be almost – well, I'll check that to make sure. But let me with that, I'll ask you the next question, okay. which is from Ann Arbor Door. Chip, I know you answered this last year, but can you remind us of the game pitch limit guideline to reuse a pitcher with a one- or two-day span, as in – 20 pitches on Friday would be available to pitch 20 on Saturday and so on. Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, you know, that is correct, what you're saying. And and we talked about Maldonado. Eventually, is it going to be a situation where they have to make a decision they can throw a guy like him? If he ends up being the guy they want to go and return to that closer role, you know, you, you, you rarely see guys throw back-to-back days uh, Friday, Saturday. You want to have that gap in between. If you throw a guy Friday and you come back with him on Saturday, then invariably you, he's going to be unavailable on Sunday. And and these teams will have, they'll have a chart in the dugout or in the locker room where they'll show the guys who are available and who are not, who's up, who's not. And they base that on their pitch counts and how they feel. And, and um, that's very common for teams. So, that's that kind of ties into what I said about Maldonado or any closer or someone throwing late. It's, it's generally you, you want to get out there as quickly as possible, and we've seen different variations of that. But you, if you're going to burn a guy two straight days in an SEC series, you won't see him on Sunday. The best opportunity would be a Friday and a Sunday or just one game if you need it. And and the way that this program with Lighter and Rocker over the years, there are times, although those guys, Lighter, seem to kind of stumble and – he'd be good for, you know, there'd be 9,500 pitches and they'd come out, but that'd be seventh, eighth inning, and you just need six outs. So a lot of times the way to judge that, too, is the number of outs you need by a closer. If you need six outs, three outs, whatever, and you can get a pitcher, you can get you that. But to answer the question in, uh, in a roundabout way, it does – that 20 a time, 20 per appearance is kind of uh, the – 
line, and so to speak, as far as being uh, the max amount for those pitchers. All right, Chip, I looked it up. The Listen Live is linked on all four games up at the Vanderbilt website, which I figured was the case, but just to close that loop, okay. that's the case. Good to so. know. Good to know. And one of the games, is a, it's a late start, right? It'll be a late night. 10 o'clock start here, I think, or is that? Let's is see. That um, Friday's game night. is a 1035 start our time, central time. And then Saturday's 5.05, um, there'll be – TBA on game three, which will be a doubleheader. And I think, did he say the first game was seven and the second was nine? I don't remember. Tim. I thought it was two sevens, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. I well, I'll, it, I'll pull up my notes on that too if I can find them. I may have I may have thrown them away from yesterday. but um, And then the last one is 5.05 p.m. on Sunday. Those two seven games, those seven inning games can be tricky because you get it and it will be – um, something to watch as far as you might see a little different pitching rotation. Um, I mean, I think he mentioned that they were going to, you know, try to stick with what they've got, depending on how tonight's game, the midweek game on Tuesday. But those seven inning games from back when I played, when you had it used to be two sevens on Saturday and one nine on Sunday. But those games, you looked up and it's the fifth inning. And you got a guy who's mowing people down. It changed yeah. really those six outs changed the complex of the game quickly. And um, just wondering how they haven't announced starters. I don't think as far as past Friday. Um, yeah, here's McElvain, I've McElvain, got I've got it for you Friday. here. He said McIlvain is going to be is going to start game one. Uh, Saturday is indeed seven innings in first game and nine in game two. Okay, and okay. they'll throw for for Trell today. Is we're doing this against Central Arkansas, so that begs a question. I don't know if they can bring him back. I mean, I, I presume he'd be available to pitch later in the weekend, depending on how far he goes. I think what you want to do is jump out to a big lead today because that's an arm you you really would like to have later on the weekend. That's right, and and you know Hawaii is Hawaii's in a situation as we talked about that they're rebuilding so to speak they're four and four they've they've played um you know washington state and they split with them two and two lost to san diego state they played in the tony Gwynn classic in san diego which was sort of a a homecoming for rich hill who coached as i mentioned coached in san diego for 30 30 years uh they lost two of three there playing san diego state unlv and fresno state they the only team they won there was they beat fresno state eight to four and then they one um, yesterday, they beat San Diego State. They played them another game at their park outside of the Tony Gwynn Classic and beat them eight to five. So they've split with San Diego State this year. Um, they lost in the Tony Gwynn Classic and then beat them uh, yesterday at the time of this podcast, eight to five. So uh, you know, you look at them, boy, that's a program who, you know, it's it's just they do a lot of travel, a lot of travel to the West Coast. They got to go to Long Beach State and. They got to you know travel to uh, um, Bakersfield, California, play CSU Bakersfield and UC Davis. I mean that's not an easy fight. I mean that's not you don't just get, it's not a puddle jumper. I mean it's so um, but it, it it will be fun. I, I know for the kids and as we wrap this thing up, I'm sure that just a great experience to be over there, be together and and play four games of baseball and hopefully great weather. You know you would think it's at this time of year it's. I haven't looked up the forecast, but hopefully that'll cooperate too. Chip, that's all I got. Any parting thoughts on your end? 
Nope. Just, uh, I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit on this podcast about the concerns and the pleasant surprises. And I think it's good to do that, but also willing, you know, knowing that there's plenty of baseball to go here and, and decisions to be made by the staff and got a game tonight and then travel out the West coast. And it's good for those guys to be together and all together the entire roster, which I'm pretty sure they're doing. And, and, um, no, I, I, those are always good to touch on and we'll maybe do that throughout the year. Give us some more games under our belt and to, uh, discuss, uh, how this team's going to fare. Chip, it's always fun. We'll see you next week and tell folks about your real estate business on the way out. Sure. I'll just uh, mention it real quick. And we talk about it every ad nauseum. It seems like about this market being, a a seller's market and low inventory. And that continues as we, things heat up. We're in the the spring market it's, it is uh, kind of comes in Nashville, different cities. It comes at different times, but the spring market sort of hits in mid-February and um, the spring market has been not as active as it's been in the last couple of years, just because of that very fact that I said, there's not a lot of houses to be sold. So if you are someone uh, who is looking for real estate assistance in the middle Tennessee area, you need to call me. I'd hook you up with one of our agents who we've got two locations, one in Brentwood and one in Green Hills of our company, Frederick and Clark Realty. We've been around for over 60, 65 years now. It's a family-owned business. Vanderbilt folks, uh, supporters of the program, supporters of SEC schools, and we know um, how to help and assist sellers and buyers in this market. Let me just, last bit of advice here. There's a lot of uh, focus in the media as far as doing it yourself and and um, through models of selling your home and guaranteed pricing and we'll buy your house price uh, house for a certain price. That's all fine and dandy. But just remember, competition is good um, to set your house out there, especially in this market on a, sale, a seller's market, to have someone to market your home, know what they're doing, know how to handle multiple offers rather than just taking someone who's going to give you a little bit over um, what you think it might be without having uh, people bid, overbid for your house because that's still going on. So buyers and sellers, you can check out our website at frederickandclark.com. Check us out on the web. Give me a call if you ever have to discuss your real estate needs and be happy to hook you up and and um, assist you with your sell, sell or buy of a house. That's all I got. All right, tell me if this is fact or fiction or in the ballpark of fact. Uh, my source on this being my wife, she made the <laughs> passing comment yesterday that there's only 16 homes for sale in Franklin right now. Well, it, I'm, I'm sure I mean, within a certain price range, um, that probably is true. And I don't know if, if she heard that, if someone was saying you know over 500000 or under 500000 But there's just the, the issue, and you've heard this consistently, is people are sitting on their houses, Chris, because the fear is they know that they can make a lot of money if they sell their house. And that's that's true. They can make make um, sometimes on overbids, they're making 200000 more than they list. And that's true. There was a house last week that sold for, it was listed for a million. It sold for a million three. Um, the, the, the buyer overbid by $300,000. The fear is, is that people don't know where they would go if they sold, because if they, if they have to, if they sell their house, they got to go buy something. And all you're doing in this market right now is you're overpaying when you buy again, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So, you know, it, it, unless you're moving to Alaska 
uh, which maybe the market's hot up there and you can put the money in your pocket, it's a problem that um, it's going to continue to go until, you know, as interest rates are low and, and that sort of thing. So, but yeah, it's, it's interesting market has been for the last couple of years, despite all the crazy stuff that's going on in our world, the housing market continues to uh, drive things around here in Nashville. Chip, it's been fun. We'll see you next week. Take care, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.